Hi, I'm Valerie Moisel. Over 20 years ago, I co-founded my company with a creative spark, an entrepreneurial spirit, and a fearless attitude. At the time, I didn't quite know what I was doing, but by jumping right in, not being afraid to make mistakes, and surrounding myself with people I could learn from, I had no choice but to figure it out. Well, I'm ready to be fearless again. I've long dreamed of sharing a space where I can interview successful women and hear them talk from their hearts about how they found their way. What I'm learning is it's not such a linear path. In fact, it's different for everyone, but there is a common thread. We all have what I call the four S's, the initial spark, the snag which trips you up, the shift that helps you find your way to the final S, success. No, not always in that order, and yes, sometimes the steps repeat. Before each interview, I thought it would be insightful to not only bring my perspective as a Gen Xer, but to have a quick chat with a rising millennial who is on her own unique path to greatness. My hope is that she will one day pass the torch and mentor others. Together, we will learn from each other and be inspired. These are women who rule. This is She Dynasty. I'd like to introduce you all to Brenna Kleiman. Brenna is a social media strategist at The Woo. She is one of the smartest women I know. She's a lot younger than me, but I have to tell you, I love learning from her every single day. So welcome, Brenna. Thank you so much for having me. So today we are going to be speaking to Eden Sassoon, and she actually came into the office a few weeks ago, and you got to sit down with her. So what was your initial thought of her when she first came in? It was really refreshing seeing her for the first time because she had just gotten out of the gym. I think she had just been to a Pilates class, and she came in and wasn't wearing makeup and, you know, workout gear, you know, yoga pants and, and sneakers with her hair tied back, and it was... It's always really nice for me to have my first impression of people be very genuine. Right. And I think for somebody with a name that precedes them like that. Right. I think everybody in the office expect her to come in full, like, glam makeup. Exactly. And when she came in, I was just like, oh, this is this is a real person. And um, she was beautiful just like that. She's gorgeous and friendly and really wonderful to, to speak to and pick her brain a little bit. So she sat in my office and she told us a little bit about her story. What did you take away from that? It's always really inspiring to see somebody who's been through so much, who's been through so much darkness and really learns how to convert that energy into something so much greater and so much more powerful. And I think there's a strength in that that I think a lot of people have difficulty reaching. Yeah, she had a lot of uh, tragic things happen to her in her life and you know, what's great about her is she really um, took those moments and figured out how to understand them and turn them into something more positive. She's really kind of redefined what success means. And so I'm excited to speak with her today. Yeah, definitely. Me too. I have Eden Sassoon here with me today, a beauty and wellness entrepreneur and proud daughter of perhaps the most famous hairstylist to have ever lived, Vidal Sassoon. Hi, Eden. How are you? Hi, Valerie. I'm actually absolutely fabulous. Well, today we are going to learn all about your four S's. You have an incredible journey, um, what you've been able to accomplish, the things that you've been able to overcome are so inspiring, and I'm excited for everyone listening to learn about it. In full disclosure, Eden and I have known each other for many, many years. Uh, we met in high school. I got the uh, secrets. We've got secrets. We absolutely <laughs> do. Uh, we were actually the real 90210. Yes, we were. It was so fabulous back then. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. A yeah. lot of fun. So we've uh, we've kept in touch all the years. We kind of fell out of touch, but uh, we really have had a very mutual like respect for one another. Yeah, and we're reunited. I know. I love it. So take us back to um, the beginning. I want to hear about where were you born? What was your life like when you were a child? The beginning. So I was born in New York because my father um, came from London to New York with my mother at the time. Born there and shortly after, six months, they picked me up from New York and moved me to Los Angeles. And I'm very grateful for that fact because I have that East Coast energy. I think I came into the world with that. And I moved to the West Coast, which... Is such a great sort of, you know, you know, we live our sort of peaceful, yet let's get it done, let's move our bodies, let's be healthy. Everything about it is a proactive way of living, but yet very centered. And at that time, um, 
where was your dad in his career? Was he already, you know... This- it was at the height of it all. It was came after, you know, the 60s. I was born in 73. So it was just like, we're going to take the company and we're going to bring it to Los Angeles, coming from London to New York to LA. He was... I mean, I was a baby, so I didn't really realize really what I was being born into. And it was just very normal. It was it was a wonderful family. Did you know when you were a child that your father was an icon? No. You didn't I just saw, I, no, I saw people loving him. I saw cupboards of product, of all the product. I'm like, what's this? this is great shampoo and it smells good. And then I realized there's salons and people cutting hair and a lot of people, you know, giving this this man who happens to my father so much respect. And it was, it, was, it was a lot happening and I don't think I could comprehend it honestly until as I got older, but he was still just always my father right. until he passed. Right. And then... I got to see him for who he was other than my father. I have to say, you know, I'm in advertising, as you know, and I think that your father had probably one of the most iconic advertising campaigns in the history of the world. Wasn't it the best? The the best. Like, I could sing the song right now. So the famous tagline was... If you don't look good, we don't look good. That rings beef. in my head. That's, that's, you know, that's as big as where's the beef or, you know, Nike just do it. It's, right? it's huge. It is huge. It's also hard to live up to. It's very hard to live up to. So it's interesting. They, they make that tagline in, in what, late 60s? And yet that was a time where it was okay to have that and inspire women. Where now, if you don't look good, we don't look good. You're like, hey, what does that mean? Do I need to, you know, look like so-and-so on that channel or this channel? Or, you know, which doctor do I go to to fix this and do that? It's a whole different idea of what that really means, which is fascinating. I mean, you can yeah, look it at cha- it. I mean, the meaning of it has changed over yeah. the years. Yeah. But it's interesting because you kind of feel like you have to live up to that, right? I think it's it's in my body. I hold on to growing up like that. But I definitely, there's always that side to me that I never, unfortunately, my sister felt that she had to live up to that and she's no longer with us. And I'm sure we'll get into that briefly. But she um, she was on that path where I was like, but this doesn't make sense to me. I know there's something bigger than this. I know something's grounding me and yet is so powerful other than the way that I look, you know? And it's been a struggle pretty much my whole life. So let's fast forward to high school. You grew up in Beverly Hills, and I already know the the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you because I know everyone listening wants to hear. What was it like in the real 90210? The real 90210 for, for women and girls like us at the time it was fabulous. It was great. It was fun. It was normal. I mean, we might have been more privileged than others, but we were really awesome kids. And we had fun and we had great family and friends. And, you know, there was no difference. There was a lot of strong bonds between our friends. I know we were a very, very tight, tight group. Yeah. I think that the fact that we're sitting here 20 some odd years later together it says a lot for what it was like growing up in 90210. It was a little you know? crazy, but I think we had we had a lot of fun. Yes, yeah, so it was very crazy, but I think we don't necessarily have something else to, you know, compare it to. Um, and for the most part, I mean, look at us now. We're, we're, we are healthy women who do good in the world. Right. So what did you do after high school? I wanted to be an actress. And you were and very wanted, serious about it? Yeah. The reason I wanted to be an actress was ego-based. The underneath true reason was to really find out who is Eden. So I put myself in classes and I really struggled to find how do I be the most sincere, strongest actress possible. And it was me finding my way through this, you know, world we grew up in. Because there was times, as, as much as I was, you know, we were popular and cool and the center of attention, I was shy and quiet. Um, and I never drank and I didn't do drugs and I didn't do anything, nothing, nothing, nothing until after high school when I experimented and drank and, you know, the chaos began for me. So when I got into acting, it was, it was time for me to find that hurt, lonely girl's voice and make her come alive. Because there was also the side to me that, that dad was, you know, be the best, go to school, you know, work out every day. It was, everything was just high intensity and go do it and make it happen. Literally like that. And I'm like, Jesus, can I get a break here? You know, he didn't know any different other than because he wasn't raised by anyone for the most part but himself. And he made a huge success of himself. But it, nothing was ever enough. 
And were your parents um, still married at this point, or they had already been divorced? No, my parents got divorced when I was seven years old. They were. And who did you live with? Interestingly enough, my mom's a recovering alcoholic, and so she was drinking at the time. And when they got divorced, and I vividly remember, I lived more with my mother than with my father. And I think because he had so much going on that he didn't have any other choice. But I always look back and I said, why why would my dad send me to a house where he knows it's complete chaos? And and I'm grateful again for it because I am who I am today, you know, with all that experience. Right. And so you tried the acting thing for a while. And how did that go? It went incredibly well only because I was moving along my journey. I was finding myself. I was evolving. The acting? No. I think I could probably be a much better actress today than um, I took it too serious. I was so serious in finding myself that like my hands would freeze up and they'd numb. And you know, when you have to play, you have to be open, you have to jump out of that box and do whatever, you know, I'm a, I'm a little more crazy today. In 2002, you had one of the biggest snags of your life happen. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about it. Um, I woke up New Year's Day. And um, to be quite honest, I was hungover, like most people are on New Year's Day. That never happens. Um, My girlfriend said, you need to call your mother. And the minute she said that, I'm like, something's wrong. Like I tapped into something. I'm like, something's wrong. I'm not calling my mom. She said, Eden, you need to call your mother. I called my mom, and sure enough, my sister had overdosed within the last eight hours of... And was she in the hospital, or she had already passed away? She no, she had passed away at the um, intimate gathering she was at, and the, they put her to bed because she wasn't feeling well. She didn't wake up. Tell us how that affected you. You know, she called me that New Year's Eve and said, "What are you doing tonight? I want to see you." And I and within that back then we had answering machines, and uh, I hung up. I never heard the end. And I'm okay with it now, but I didn't want to take on the responsibility of, as we know now, of what could have happened that night. And I didn't. Um, were you guys close? We were as close as we can could have been. She had a lot of, uh, you're the good sister, I'm the bad sister. You know, she's the black sheep of the family. Daddy loves you. And my dad did she have those problems for, you know, did she have a drinking or drug problem for from, a while? Or yeah, was it? pretty much from the time she was 13 till the day she died. I think she was, you know, misdiagnosed with a lot of things. Um, so you kind of grew up trying to watch her <laughs> figure it out, and at some point you kind of started the same pattern? Yep. Well, cut to my mother. So I grew up with my mother drinking, and that was consistent and just ripped me apart. And I'd go to bed crying most nights. Then somehow when I was 15, they let me move in with my sister. And then when she passed, yeah, I think that was, I was 15 when I took my first drink. Not even through that drink, it changed. And I was different. And I'm like, this kind of feels good. Who's this girl? She's fun. But I stopped. And were you consciously trying not to be like her? Were you always kind of, you were kind of labeled as the good kid and she was the one with the problem. So you were nervous of it? I wanted to be the good side of my sister because she was larger than life. And when she was in her right frame of mind, her her energy and her, she walk in a room and you're like, who is that woman? But the opposite side of that comes um, just as, as a powerful negative, you know. So I, I couldn't be that. I was the quiet, shy, sweet little daughter. And what age did you realize that you had the same problem as her? Like where you actually owned up to it? Oh, um... You know what? The entire time that I was drinking, I always knew I was an alcoholic. I just wasn't ready to change. So I was admitted it, like I do for the most part everything in my life, and I was conscious of it, and I said, yeah, and when I'm ready, I'll stop. So it was a conscious decision um, to keep to keep that behavior going. At the time, it was easier. And the death of your sister, did any, was there any learning uh, moment in that or something that you took from it that you turned into a positive? Or were you able to harness anything from that? You know, the first time someone that close to you dies, I don't know what happens with other people, but I, the, the ground beneath me fell out 
I didn't understand the concept of death thus far. Um, so I had complete anxiety, panic. I lost like, I was down to 98 pounds. Um, shortly after my sister died, my best friend Darren died. So I was in complete, what is going on with my life? So you got hit twice yeah. in a very short period of time. Like even to get out of bed, to get into the shower, to just cry. I couldn't, I just, it was a depression. And were you working at the time? I know you were acting was kind of your thing, um, but were, were you booking jobs? No, you know what? Because shortly after that, I met my ex-husband, my now ex-husband, father of my children, and he was um, a production manager at the time. And so he would hire me as a PA. It kept me busy. It was it was fun at the time. And I people were like, you're so-and-so's daughter, and I'm telling you to go get me coffee. I'm like, yeah, and I'm happy to get it. Do you want cream or sugar? <laughs> Like, there's no problem with that. It was really great. Fun. So you met your soon-to-be husband and got engaged. Tell us about him. <laughs> Tomer, he's a great guy. I mean, you know, everybody in your life that you that you meet and you come across is a lesson. And he was a big lesson for me, and he always will be because he's the father of my two children. Um, we met, and literally the night that we met him, this was the first night that I had gone out in L.A. to Guy's Bar, and I walked in and I see this group of guys and I have an eye. And when my eye sets my eye on something, my it's locked in and kill. So uh, that's what happened. <laughs> so you started dating. We started dating and it was really quick. I think that he moved in. We moved in together. You fell in love like you didn't leave weeks. each other since so the day you met. So Tomer as a child had, a, not as a child, as a young adult had open heart surgery. And so he had stayed over and I just kind of put my head on his chest and his scar all the way down his chest just sort of had this um, incredibly moving thing in my body. And when I put my head on my chest and I felt his heart beating, for some reason at that moment, I would remember I was very, very, very unsteady and vulnerable. So the connection there between me and his heart <laughs> um, was, was really intense. And at that moment, I was like, this is, this is my guy. And how many years after your sister's death did you meet him? Um, like 26 days. Oh, wow. So he kind of came at the right time. Exactly. 100%. He picked me up, put me together. And so you got married right away? Well, so we got engaged in South Africa on safari, which was incredible. And then the drinking got out of control. And when I used to drink, I would get very jealous. And nothing could be happening. He could be talking to you in the corner and I would just go nuts. I mean, it was, you know. So one night we came home and I threw the ring at him and I was like, go to hell. And that was it. And shortly after I got sober, I'm like, oh my God, what did I just do? I have to fix this. I need to fix this problem. And so I called up my mom. I said, Mom, you know, I'm still working. Da, 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 da. Can you do me a favor? Can you buy a ring for Tomer? She's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to ask him to marry me. No one said, I, you know, women can't do that. Good so I wrote you. This. I love that. Thank you. Sometimes I forget I did that. I'm like, you know what? That's awesome. Did so you I wrote get down this. on one knee? I'm so excited love. to hear how you did it. <laughs> it was so fun and like, like liberating. Um, I wrote this incredible letter. I wonder if he still has it. Um, I went to Tiffany's and I bought the ring. I wrote this incredible letter. And at the end of the letter, it said, will you marry me? And so I went, he would go hit golf balls at um, over on Pico. And so I saw Ceylon Cantor and she was running by. I'm like, oh my God, this is perfect timing. You have to do me a favor, Ceylon. See that guy right there? She's like, yeah, Eden, Tomar, I know him. I'm like, go give him this letter. And I gave her the box. She goes, ah, you are not. I go, yes, I am. So she went up and she gave it to him. I saw her give it to him. He's like looking around. It was hazy day. It was kind of drizzling. I've hidden the bushes. And all of a sudden he read it and he like starts looking around and I come out of the bushes. Oh my God, this is just crazy to think about. Um, I didn't get down on one knee. I came out of the bushes and I had the blue Tiffany's box. And I said, will you marry me? And at this point you had gotten sober. I was sober. And so that's why he said yes. I think he was at that time still unsure, but what was he going to do? I mean, we were in this on and off relationship. We loved one another or what you know of love at the time. And he said yes. And thank God, because we have two incredible kids and a really nice, I mean, he's the, the one and only man in my life right now. And you guys are really good friends. And Yeah. The more that I, that I journey and the more that I emotionally, I, and it's a never ending journey. So we get closer and closer. 
And there are times where, I mean, he is so funny. And when we were together, I would say, oh my God, he drives me insane. And now I'm like, Tomer, <laughs> you kill me. You were one of the funniest persons. He's going, damn it, Eden. And I wasted all those years of humor on you. You know, things that you just appreciate and don't appreciate in different times. Do you guys spend holidays together as a family? Yes. We've, we've gone to Italy with he and his wife and oh, their I child. I love divorced couples who can do that. It's so fun. I, I went through a really nasty divorce and my parents were the opposite of that. So and when know, I hear and, that, it's just... And when I hear that, it's, it's, it's sad to I me too. I think everyone who divorces has to still play house a little bit I agree I think that and I think you need to release and let go of whatever it was that you came out of and be in the present and so there's healing in it but you find a lot of couples who just can't and to be quite honest and you know women hold on to a lot and it's releasing that and letting go so how long were you married four years we literally got married had one child had another child and within the next year got divorced and was there a specific reason did you grow apart no I think we just we grew apart um we weren't meeting each other's needs. Take full responsibility, as does he. I probably take more, but you know. And you started drinking too. again. Um, I did after my first after my first child was born. I really wanted my glass of wine back, so I didn't. I was sober during our marriage and our, my first child being born. And then after she was born, I started drinking, but not as much because I shortly three months later got pregnant. Um, was that part of the reason you think the marriage ended? I think that. With a lot, a lot of hard work, we could have possibly healed things. But I just think that we, you know, people grow apart. People go different paths. I don't think I knew myself, obviously, as my sister just died and my best friend just died. I didn't know my head from my other end. Um, So I I think that we served a, a specific reason for each other. And we still do. And so now you're divorced. And I love his wife. So I got I got another whole new family. You love his new wife? Jade. She's she's like my sister. And her mom is like my mom. And her sister is like my sister. It's it's incredible. His sister is still my literally my sister. I put them on my my emergency contact says my ex-husband and his sister's names. How scary is that? That's amazing. That's how it should be. But it's kind of scary. It is, it is. Okay, so let's move on to, okay, so now you are divorced. You're a single mom. Really quickly, before I got divorced, my dad had asked me to come over. And I always get scared when I go to dad's house. Like he always, had something to tell you? It's You know, he gets a deep voice and he's like, darling, will you come have a talk? We'll have tea. I'm like, oh shit, what'd I do? Um, so we sit down and he's in his robe, always a white robe. And we're sitting and having tea across. He's like, so, so you know, now that you have the two kids and I was still married at the time. But, you know, the kids aren't always going to be with me. So what are you going to do with your life? I'm like, ah, what? I mean, this was a profound question at the time. And how old are you at this time? I was 32. I was relatively, you know, 32, 33. So, like, this was the first time that somebody posed the question of what are you now alone, single, Eden, going to do with your life? I was still married. But I wasn't happy. And I knew it was coming to an end. He didn't necessarily know that, but he still said, your children will get older. Now, what are you going to do with your life? And I was like, I'm a mom. What do you mean? I'm a mom. I'm a mom. That's enough. So so being a career woman and doing what you're doing now wasn't a part of the mix back then? Not until he asked me that question. I mean, I'm going to cry thinking about it. I I went to therapy the next day. I'm like, my dad just sat like across from me. Meanwhile, not only did he sit across from me and ask me, what are you going to do with your life? But he didn't tell me that he had leukemia till three years later. So as a dying man sitting across from me asked me, what are you going to do with your life? Do you think that's the reason he asked you? Because he was worried about your future and what it was going to mean without him? I think it 100%. But I think that he would have asked it anyway. But yes, it was that much more you know, had much more depth to it when he knew where it was coming from and I didn't until he died. And I'm like, he knew. Right. So he sparked something in you that you had to now figure out what you were going to do with your life. Yep. And so where did the shift happen? What was next? Immediately. I went to therapy. I talked about it. We talked about like coming to that edge. Like if it was the edge of the world, what are you going to do? Jump, swim, you're not going to drown type thing. And just everything started moving. And the one thing that got me through the next chapter was Pilates. 
I was going to Pilates every single day to physically move that energy within me to get stronger and fit and skinny. Remember, if you don't look good, we don't look good. This was still going on. And so that's... So that that tagline like reverberates in your head. uh, Whether I say it or not, it's there. That's a lot of pressure. Um, Yeah, and now I'm undoing what I've done, which takes a lot of time. So you're doing all this soul searching. What was next? It was a physical physical movement that led to an actual action, um, it made sense to me. I was going to Pilates every day. It was my passion. I went to bed at night, waking up, being so grateful that I get to go move my body. And I walked into the studio, Pilates uh, Plus at the time, and I said, Sebastian, how did you get the studio? I, w- I want to open a studio. And he said, you can open a studio too. And I said, <gasps> what? He goes, yeah, you can open your own. I love when somebody comes in your life and like tells you the simplest thing (laughs) and you're like like, changes your whole world, like shifts your entire direction. 100%. When he said that, he was another aha moment of, oh my God, I can do this, Sebastian, really under the business you've created thus far? Can I have Beverly Hills? Because this is where I grew up. Right. He said, I would only allow you to have Beverly Hills because you did grow up here. So I took Pilates plus Beverly Hills and that was the beginning with my partner at the time, Sierra Butler. And she and, was, but, and before that moment, you ha- you didn't really know what you want to do. And someone just suggested something to you and your whole life just went in a different direction. I, said, I suggested to him because I knew that was my passion. And I refused because I used to have little jobs here and there, obviously. all I had every job. You could, waitress, but he was the everything. first person to make you feel like you could actually do it. Oh, completely. It was Then it was on. Game on. Push button. I didn't sleep. I, I mean, everything. Within the next, what was it, three to four months, I found the location. We bought the machines. We sat in the studio right over here on Wilshire and Beverly Hills. And just, I mean, I was recharged. And it was incredible. The morning we opened in October, and we were there at like 5 a.m. I put a rose on everyone's bed. I mean, I it was so magical that... Uh, so this is the first time in your life that you kind of had your own thing happening. It was the beginning of the process of the groundwork that I had to get me through the alcoholism and the divorce and everything else that was about to happen. I remember driving down Wilshire Boulevard yep. and seeing your name. I hadn't spoken to you in years and just thinking, oh, she's back and being so excited. It was it was it was magical. It was really magical. But you know what? I'll tell you something. Thank God I had a partner because I couldn't have done it alone. And then... Were you financially able to do it on your own? Nope. Or did My father you... gifted me $100,000. Your father did? Yep. So he kind of gave you your start. Yep. What a gift. 100%. He believed in you. Yes. That's amazing. He gave me... What's interesting is all of my starts with a push. But you know how they say it takes money to make money. So... I could have done anything and done nothing at all. And yet I chose to take the gifts that he ever gave me and, and really put and them. And was it an easy decision for him to give you the money? Like he trusted what you were doing? Or- yeah, well, he saw that I was going to Pilates every day. He saw my body. He saw my mental and physical change. And he, I started Pilates because he got me into it. And so it was, he was excited, really excited. All right, so now you have, this, you have the Pilates studio and you hit another snag. Tell us about that time in your life. I had the studio that was incredible and it was feeding me and it was giving me this energy. And on the other side, I'd go home and I was in this miserable relationship. And I had to, and I had two children. So I had to figure out, okay, I gotta, I gotta work this out. And on top of that, I'd like to drink. Now, all of that as a combination is not very healthy. So you were happy when you were at work, but you were unhappy when you were home. Yes, and so I would drink. And, um... So I had to figure out how was I going to be able to come home and be happy. And that led us to a divorce, which was great. Um, we never fought. We amicably just... I mean, did you just come home one day and say, this isn't working, and he kind of agreed? Was it... We kind of did it over the phone. <laughs> no joke. I mean, there, it was a kind of a, a fight, and the final words were, okay, get out of my house. And that was pretty much it. He left. And was there probably was a period where you guys didn't speak or yeah, there was weird. a rough patch. There was a rough. And there patch, has to be a rough we, patch before we, it gets better. Yeah, and you know what was interesting? There was a couple years where I actually gave him the energy of that man energy in my life. That man being my father, so there was a sense of control that he had over me. Okay, so now you're divorced. What's next? Shortly after the divorce, I started dating Dave, and 
he got me through a lot of hard times. He was a pivotal point in in this whole story because Dave and I like to, to really explore life together. And yet he had two children, I had two children, and we kind of combined these beautiful families. And he was in the fitness world. And I mean, how great. This couldn't so you be had a lot in relationship. Common. I mean, it, it, made was, sense. it was beautiful. He owned a gym, I owned my Pilates studio. Um, he looked great, I looked great. The rest was debauchery. And within two and a half years is when my dad decided to call me one day and say, darling, can you come over <laughs> again? Oh Every time he asks you to come over, it's kind of big news or scary. Yeah, but this time he said, you know, I, I, I just want to cuddle. And I was like, oh, my dad just asked me to come over for a cuddle. What's going on? So I called Dave and I said, Dave, can, can you watch the kids tonight? And he told me that he had a new client. And at this point, I'm struggling. Like, obviously, I have issues with men because right now, this is something major in my life, you know, there, it wasn't completely unheard of that something was going on, um, but I didn't know what it was. And when he asked me to come over like that, I'm like, I got, I got to get there now. And so Dave chose not to watch the children. At that moment, it was a big shift too. I released Dave, told him that he was only going to be a trainer and that our relationship was over because you can't manage to help me in a time of need when I need to go be there for my father. Just with the shift within myself, again, male to male. Um and I go to my dad's and, and he said, well, you know how I told you within the last three years that I have to get my blood checked every six months? Well, darling, it happens to be leukemia and, you know, they've given me 10 years. This was three years into it. So I Google everything. I mean, I turn into a doctor and find out. I don't, I, I honestly can't even go back to that moment to tell you how I felt. Um, I have no idea. I have no idea. But at that point, I, I lost it. Because again, I lost the man I loved. And now my dad's telling me he's going to die. So I mean, I know I turned to the bottle and that got me through a lot and, and the Pilates machine. But I was broken again. So when your dad told you he was sick, um... How did that change your relationship with him? I never wanted to get too close to my dad because I knew at some point, just normal life, we all die. And I was afraid to lose him. And here I'm told that I'm going to lose him. But I had a good relationship with the bottle. So it was a hard balance between, look, you suffer without this bottle and you love your father and you give him all your time or you run. And I think I did both. <laughs> I ran. I did the best I could to be there, um, to give him my love, to give him my time, but I didn't give him all. And I didn't leave the time to, to play and, and be had free. He, and had he made it public, or was it just something that was no, a secret you know, in your I family? Would talk, I would talk to him. That's an interesting question, because I'm like, Dad, you impact so many people's lives. What if this hundreds of thousands of people that you impact are suffering from the same thing? Darling, some things are just better left unsaid. He didn't want to tell anybody. No. It was very, people still don't know. And who was your support system at the time? I mean, I liked Pino Grigio. He's my good friend. He's your good friend. <laughs> my very good friend. I mean, my, to be quite honest, it was um, whatever workout that I was getting to. So a few years passed, and um, at first um, he was living with it, and you probably didn't feel it that much, but he started to decline. And, and what he happened ended up, next? He ended up in the ICU, and it was scary for all of us. And weeks later, he got out. And once again, he called me, and he said, can you um, meet me for lunch at his favorite place, Ebaldi? So oh, my God, I'd be sco lunch. so scared to go to right. have a conversation <laughs> with your dad. Know, right? <laughs> and yet he was so incredible when you sat down with him, and so wise. So we're sitting at lunch, and, and he said, you know, having come out of the hospital thinking that I was going to not be here today, I'm going to give you a gift at some point in your life, but I'd like to share it with you now. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, what's going on? I mean, my heart's pounding. Remember, I'm still living paycheck to paycheck, even at the Pilates studio, and really trying to make, make a success. So he's not supporting you at this time? No. So he, you're supporting yourself, you're a single mom, the Pilates studio is how you're making your money. And it's very little. And yet, although he did say, I will pay for your health insurance and anything ed educational for the rest of your life. Okay. So that was, uh, that was that. And so at this time, I'm thinking, oh, my God, what is he going to say? And he literally said, I will have a check to you tomorrow for $3.5 million. And I 
that changed my life at that moment. I had no idea. I couldn't understand. I You weren't expecting that. Oh, my God. And that was, he said, I'm giving you a piece because I want to see what you can do before I go. And so here I'm up against myself again. Now I'm like, God, he just, not only did he just give me a huge amount of money, said, buy yourself a house and buy yourself a car and then show me what you're going to do. All right. I mean. Wow. He likes to put on the pressure. hundred percent. And so I was at, um, I was at a small place getting my hair blown dry and I'm thinking and I'm back up against the wall thinking, who am I? What can I do? How can I change people's lives? And I, this person's blowing out my hair. And I'm looking in the mirror and I say to myself, wait a minute, I'm a sassoon. I know what I can do. There's blow dry places popping up on every corner at this point. I'm going to open the next like blow dry makeup, get your nails done, come all one stop. And the way that I feel you want to walk into place and have that energy be as Vidal's daughter. And sure enough, I did it. I did it. I knew what I wanted. I knew what I wanted to feel. I knew the lives that I impacted when I opened Pilates. And I knew it was going to happen. So that gift um, helped open the salon. Yep. And were you still drinking at the time? Yep. I quit drinking six months after I opened the salon. Wow. And what? why the change of heart? Because dad finally did pass. And I had a, two businesses now. And I heal. one thing he did teach me was always put together the right team. You can't do it yourself, as you know, and you respect and honor your team. 100%. Yeah. So I did, and I always have, and thank God. So I put together the right team, and after six months, and I kind of, I woke up. I literally woke up. But I woke up on the edge of my bed, and thank God I was dressed. And I woke up, and I said, today might be the day. And all I heard was his voice and my higher power, which I like to call the living Jesus, um, talking. And they were talking like he used to talk to me as a child, and they were talking at me. Get up, get out of bed, put on your t- shoes, go on my hike, Franklin Canyon. Like it was constant, and I'm crying. I'm like, okay, I'm going. And I'm getting on the mountain, and I'm walking through it. And I come across this woman who changed my life. I, the moments are just unbelievable how they break down. So and we're, So we're getting to another shift here. Yep. Okay. And she, I had a Nike addiction. And I had every color Nike you could Nike free you could possibly imagine. You had a Nike edition. Mm-hmm. And so she said, nice shoes. I'm like, oh my God, she liked my shoes. Thank you so much. Meanwhile, my dad, <laughs> they're still going in my ears and I'm crying and I'm like, oh, what's going on? And I knew. And I turned back around and I walked and I stopped right next to her and we're slowly walking up the mountain. And she said, uh, you know, I have body dysmorphia. Literally out of the blue. And I'm like, you know, I think I do too. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. When you actually see yourself as like, I see myself maybe as a size six or eight, but I'm really yeah. a zero too. Got it. Um, and she goes, no, I, I don't know why, but I think that you're an alcoholic and you need to go to AA. And I was like, but I really want to go to OA with you. And she's like, why don't you go to a few meetings? And I'm thinking to myself, Wait, and I take don't know this woman? No. And she's just, yep. she just has well, a sense about you? Yep. And I'm very much like that, so I'm open to her. Okay. So I appreciated what she was saying, and she was absolutely right. We hugged. We left. We, our conversation went on a little longer. I left. I went down to the Canyon store, and I'm away. I'm like, it's going to be 5 o'clock soon. I can't wait for that glass of wine. I'm like, God, Eden, but it's going to get you back, and the whole okay. is going on in my head. I run into a friend who's been sober for 15 years at that very moment, and I looked him in the eyes, and I said, Nick, I'm ready. He goes, you're ready? And I'm like, right now, I'm ready. Like right that second you had to go. Wow. So I said, hold on. I called Tomer. Tomer, I'm getting sober again. Oh my God, that's great. I said, but I'm going to a meeting tonight. I have a meeting tonight, Eden. Tomer, fine, fine. I had to do it now. So up uh, the hill from the Canyon store was a place called The Hills. Nick said, I got a place, get in the car. We drove up to The Hills and I did outpatient for two weeks. And it was incredible. It was incredible. And the minute that I woke up hearing these voices to literally meeting on the mountain to Nick saying and to getting to this place, I had let go of it all and come to the next chapter of Game On. And from for the last five and a half years, it's been pretty magical. So five and a half years you've been sober. Yes. Five and a half incredible years of not one sip of alcohol. Thank you, God. I'd love uh, to hear that. 
it's it's a gift. Okay, so now you have two successful companies. You're sober. Now what? I mean, the, now the only right thing for me to do is to figure out how to give back. And um, a friend of mine, Robbie, took me to the Thirst Project. And it was this incredible gala. And I watched, all I ever wanted to do was help the world. And for some reason, my heart goes to Africa. And it always has. I would watch Michael Jackson, The Man in the Mirror, and cry myself to sleep every single night as a child. And now is my time to give back. What is the Thirst Project? Thirst Project is an incredible organization that's run by Seth Maxwell, who's, I think, all of 30 at this point. And he's raised millions and millions of dollars to give clean drinking water to countries all over the world. To countries that don't have access to clean drinking water. Is that through technology? Through through building wells. Oh, wow. So I got involved with that. And I said, look, I'm in an industry that they would not get their paycheck if they did not have water. One, they can't work. You can't cut hair. You can't wash hair. You can't have products. They can't do anything without water. What so, an interesting connection. Right? So, well, because I had to understand how am I going to get involved in clean water being where I'm at right now. Yes, I could take the, the fitness route, but the beauty route, being a Sassoon, would make a much bigger impact for the Thirst Project. So I, uh, I did it. So you I, started a 501c3? I did. Called Beauty Gives Back for Thirst. And my goal was to unite the beauty industry to give back for clean drinking water, but through education. Because my dad was always said, you know, you can leave something behind, but if you leave the technique, and basically, as, as you said in the beginning of the show, you want to pay it forward so she can pick it up and take it, keep moving it. And that was his, his thing was all about educating others so they can keep the craft going. And so I wanted to get them educated, pull in top hairdressers around the world, which I did, and then also talk about their why. Because they're more than just hairdressers. They're just young millennials who don't really see outside their own box. And yet it's a very different box than what we grew up in. So I'm trying to tap into all areas at this point in my life. And it was, it's, was a really powerful, powerful time. Um, but exhausting. Did We're, it take away from you working on your business? It took everything. Everything from me. It took a lot of finances to start, which I'm always happy doing. But I couldn't be in, a, you know, more than one place at any given time. And I could only do it so often because I had two businesses and I have kids and I have a life. So I was trying to, at that point, think, how do I, how do I get more, get this global and think like the millennials to get it on an app to, you know, which is all sort of happening now. But um, at the time, it was, it was too hard for me to to really get the youth to, to know the history of hairdressing and to get these incredible hairdressers to come together to teach, to give back. And we built a couple of wells with Four Thirst Project. And I went to Swaziland and I actually was there building a well with Seth. And it was incredible. I mean, the whole journey is incredible. The hair, the, the industry still, still talks about it. And did you meet your goals? Um, no, I'm still working on it. They have their gala coming up and, you know, I'm doing some different things within the industry. I had to close the 501c3 down why because it was financially draining me as an individual and i had so you were to raising give... money for the cause but you were draining to, yourself yeah. yeah people so, don't realize that it's a it lot of hard work yeah. and what it takes yeah. to run a nonprofit. it's not as easy as one might think it's a team and i had a wonderful amazing woman erin doing it with me and she you know i mean she couldn't carry it all on herself you know and at some point i had to give her a salary she worked for three years for nothing and then I had to put, you know, it's, it's a lot, a lot of work, but I did a lot and I'm continuously, I got him involved with the Paul Mitchell school system and they do their gala and they give back, they do fundraising. And so there's 11 charities and I got the thirst project to be one of them. Thanks dad. Um, so your dad it was would incredible. be very proud of all this because yes. I know philanthropy was a big part of yes. um, who he was. Yes. So you ended up on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Tell us about, uh, I I know everybody knows the story, so we won't go too much into it, but at the end of the day, good experience, bad experience. Every experience is a great experience. So um, I'm grateful for the experience. I learned a lot. I learned a lot of what I don't want in my life. I learned a lot of how to use my voice in a positive way and how that I'm going to make a difference doing other things in my life that is so far from that. Um, And God bless them. So would you do it again? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay. I would do a show again with the right direction and the right attitude and the right behavior and the right, you know, um, ensemble cast that, that are grounded. 
What was your biggest learning from that experience? Ooh. It was personal also. I think, um, one, to have boundaries. Two, to not trust as much as I do. I'm like an open heart, just a bleeding. And they really sort of took me back to my childhood with my sister. And I had to, I had to go back and then I had to sort of recover. Obviously, I wasn't. I had to do a lot of personal soul searching again. And that was another sort of setback. It really, um, a setback to just come back. <laughs> I'm finally at this point, you know, they're in season eight and I'm at a whole different level. I mean, they took me deep for me to come even higher. I mean, it's, it's so empowering. So you hit another snag after the show. I did. I had implants wanting to be, you know, feel like a real woman when I was a kid. I was 20. And at 40, I had to change them because I had two babies and, you know, things, things, change. things change. They drop. So it was time to pick them up and change them, right? Well, when I changed them, my right one wanted to get hard and it never got soft. And then I went back and I changed it again. And it, he said, well, I can't put it in that same pocket, so I'm going to put it under your muscle. So meanwhile, I have one breast under the muscle and one over the muscle and one's hard again. And at this point in my life, I said, you know what? I'm done impressing other people. Like, like, really, I just want, it's a self thing. I wanted to be okay with who I am. It's very brave. And you've been so bold in your social media to post photos of what it looks like post-operation. And, you know, the comments that you get, the positive comments are incredible. You see a lot of women suffering from a lot of illnesses and whether we know it's caused from them or that is the common denominator or whether it's not and it's just where we get ill, we don't know. How old are you now? 44. Oh, you're 44 now. Yeah. So I'm 45. I'm a year older than you. And I've ah. known you since uh, probably 15. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, you come from this the beauty industry. You know, we live in Los Angeles. You were one of the, you know, considered one of the cutest girls. Talk to me about aging huh. a little bit. How that's, how does, how's aging going for you? How are you feeling? Ah, that question. Okay. Well, my eyes are going and that's freaking me out. Okay. Me too. It's not just you. <laughs> <laughs> the wrinkles are really weird, right? Whoa. I mean, I literally am like, whoa. You just, and, isn't it like sometimes you'll look in the mirror and you'll, you will you don't recognize. Well, I look in the mirror and I see the, you know, the saggy around the mouth and the neck doing this. And I'm, I'm like, this is really happening. It's really happening. It's really happening. Yes, it's really happening. And so how do you keep, and you know, you, dad used to say it's really hard getting old when, you're, when your mind is young and your body ages. And I'm like, oh, please, you look great. Meanwhile, it's really happening. You know, I, I sit across the table from you, and I think you are so beautiful. <sighs> you know, I, I think um, uh, my dad told me that the uh, key to not aging is to always hang out with people your age or older. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be fine. And so I when I sit you. next to you, like, you're as beautiful <laughs> but, and, as it as gets to As are you. As Thank are you. you. And right now I have all this makeup on, which you know me. I could run around just with bare naked all day long. It's fantastic. Eden, you've gone through so much hardship in your life and, you know, just hearing the stories and the way you talk about it from your heart, you know, from my perspective, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted you on this show is because I think you're such a true inspiration in the sense that you've turned it all around. All these mm -hmm. crazy things that have happened to you and all of these snags that you've hit, um, you know, I just, I constantly follow you on your social media and I see how much you give back, how much positivity you have, um, and all that you do for others. Um, you know, you have two successful companies, you have two beautiful children. Um, you're truly an inspiration. You know, tell us, do you feel like you've hit success? Thank you, by the way. Thank you. I'm constantly evolving, and I definitely am vibrating on a different level than I've ever been before. Um, and it's powerful. It's very powerful. And there's a shift happening even now in my life, a big one, huge, positive. So yes, I've hit success. Have I hit the end all say all? Absolutely not. This is a constant. As you can see over the years, it's up, it's down, it's snag, it's success. It's, I mean, it's, it's constant. And it's the ebbs and the flows and where we're at and who comes in along on your path and if you're open to them and all the things that are going on as of today. Today was actually incredible. And so I think that I take everything now as a lesson. And how am I going to learn from this? I don't go through the 
deep, deep, dark heartache or turn to the bottle or I might turn on to an extra exercise class or two. But, you know, I realize this is an aging. My body, you know, doesn't want to push that hard either. So it's really about accepting and giving in and letting go and just being. And to be quite honest, this might sound crazy, but people don't, we take our breath for granted. We do. Our body is capable of breathing. Our mind is capable of thinking. And yet we are self. That's three different things right there. And people think we're one whole being. We're not. And so I'm very much on this spiritual path um, or just, just constantly wanting to know more about self, which is com- different than the body and the mind. You know, one thing I want to point out that I think is interesting for people listening, the last few people I've had on the podcast, you know, success was defined so differently. It's mm-hmm. about hitting a certain point in your career, you know, taking over a company, and for you, it's just overcoming a lot of darkness yeah. and turning it into a place where you're so comfortable with yourself. And not only are you so comfortable with yourself, but you're an inspiration to others. Thank and you. so I just really thank want to you. thank you for being so open. Always. And honest. Always. And, and you know the journey never ends. So the next level of success, we'll come back and sit here and talk about it then. Right. But it's it's people like you who can, you know, be this open that are going to inspire others that are struggling with things that you are so that's my goal I think that's why thank you I mean that's why I'm here it's a responsibility to to give back and to share otherwise you know what's the point really so Brenna has been sitting listening to this interview and I know she has a question that she'd like to ask Hi, Eden. Hi, Brenna. It's so fascinating to watch you and Valerie, who are old friends, and then me coming into this. And of course, getting to hear your story is really great as well. Thank you. What kind of advice would you give to women who are having trouble finding that inner strength to actually follow those passions or even find them in the first place? Um, I think that just stopping for a minute, just letting go of it all because you're so in the race and you're so trying to live and you're so trying to get that guy and you're trying to you know, be thinner or prettier or cutting your hair, or all the things that we go through, but just stop. Once you set that intention, your answers will come. Guaranteed this universe is gonna give you what you ask for. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Eden. It's been really wonderful talking to you. Thank you both for having me. Mm-hmm.